My wife, Sarah, would tell you that I'm not a very patient person, and she's right. I don't like waiting in checkout lines at the store. I don't like waiting at the doctor's office. I get very impatient when I'm stuck in traffic on East Bay Street or on the Ravenel Bridge going home. I don't like waiting long for my meal once I've ordered it in a restaurant. And waiting for a flight in an airport? Well, what can I say? Patience is just not my long suit. People who possess a strong faith like that of Abraham and Sarah, as we just heard about in the reading today from the letter to the Hebrews, ought to be an encouragement to us all as we wait patiently for the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. Their story teaches us three very specific things about waiting patiently as we move forward on our faith journey. Those three things are obedience, sojourning, and optimism. Obedience, sojourning, and optimism. First, obedience. In Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's speech before he was martyred, we read that Abraham obeyed God when he appeared to him and told him to go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. He obeyed God's call by venturing out, even though he did not know where he was to go. He obeyed God even though it meant that he would have to live in tents in the desert, in a foreign land, with a people that were completely different from him, a people that worshipped pagan gods. He also had faith in God's promise that one day Sarah would conceive and bear a son and that he would become the father of many nations. And he believed that God would eventually give him a home and a city with permanent foundations, no more dwelling in tents, no more in temporary foundations anchored by stakes driven in the sand. You see, Abraham's faith began with an extreme act of obedience. He was obedient to God's call by physically venturing out and moving his entire family to a land which he would never see in his own lifetime, but which he believed would become a, a reality for his heirs, the children of Israel. Mind you, he could have easily turned back. He could have gone back to the homeland that he had left behind, but no, no, he trusted in God and kept looking ahead, looking for that permanent home that God had promised to give him. Now, one doesn't have to be a biblical scholar to realize that there are many parallels between the journey that Abraham, Sarah, and their descendants took and the coming of the European immigrants to the shores of a whole new world called America. In both instances, the people embarked upon what was a rather uncertain and precarious journey. In both instances, the promised land, which at first seemed impossible to attain, ultimately became a reality. To be sure, it was a journey of faith when Abraham left his homeland and then eventually when Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage of slavery in Egypt into the promised land of Canaan. 
after wandering around in the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years. So, too, it was a journey of faith when various bands of immigrants left the old world in a fleet of leaky ships to discover a whole new life, new opportunities, new freedoms, a brand new world which, up until then, had only been a dream. We all have dreams, don't we? We all look ahead and plan for the future. We prepare ourselves for the future in everything from the career we choose to the wife or husband we choose to spend our life with to the home and the community in which we choose to live in to the schools we choose to send our children to to the colleges our children choose to attend to the investments we make and ultimately to the plans we make for retirement. All of us plan for the future. But I have to wonder, do those plans include what we choose to do with our spiritual lives, with our spiritual futures? By that I mean to say, what plans have we made to invest in our lives and in our futures in those things that are never going to pass away? like our relationship with God. And as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews puts it, to the city which has foundations, permanent foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So first of all, then, we're to be obedient. Obedient to God's call upon our lives, on our faith journey. Sojourning is the second discipline that's required as we learn to wait patiently on the Lord. You've all heard the cliché, nothing is certain but death and taxes. One of our greatest needs in life is that of security, stability, and yes, even permanency. We like to be able to predict what will happen and when it will happen. I dare say that people who enjoy being surprised by the ups and downs on life's journey are definitely in the minority. Most of us don't like the unpredictable events that occur in our lives. They make us wonder, what is God up to? And why it seems as though he's turning our world upside down? Or at least that's how it feels sometimes, doesn't it? Have you ever thought that it's not God who's turning our lives upside down? but rather that we are the ones who've done something to put our lives in this state of turmoil and upheaval. Our God is truly an awesome God, and part of that awesomeness is the mysterious way in which he's involved in guiding and directing us through the obstacle course of the unpredictable events and circumstances that life is inevitably going to throw our way. When you stop to think about it, much of the Bible concerns itself with people who are on a journey and how God interacts with them while they're on that journey. Think about Adam and Eve, for instance. They had the good life. It began in a beautiful garden called Eden, but then shortly thereafter, they were expelled from that garden, and the toughest part of their life's journey actually began. Thorns and thistles pain in childbirth. 
Noah's faith journey reflects that as well. As he ventured out over the dark waters of a world engulfed by a worldwide flood in a vessel, a huge vessel that we call an ark. And how about Jonah's journey? That's an interesting one. Fleeing from God's call to go to Nineveh to witness to those people there, boarding a ship, caught in a violent storm at sea, and then thrown overboard by the crew because they thought that he was responsible for the typhoon which they were experiencing, which he was because he was fleeing from God, only to get swallowed up by a big whale. In Hebrew, the word is gadol, which actually means big fish, big fish or big whale, it doesn't matter. He got swallowed by something and then spit out on the beach three days later with God telling him to go back where he started from, back to Nineveh and preach the word of God to those people, which he didn't want to do. And his mission began all over again. And you thought you were having a rough day. Well, there are countless of stories like that all throughout the Bible that prove the point that our lives are never, never a tame and orderly journey. The truth of the matter is this, that the bumps in the road of life are not bumps. They are the road. What road have you ever traveled down where there weren't bumps and even a few potholes? Abraham and Sarah were sojourners living in temporary housing, living as aliens in a foreign land, perpetual outsiders without full citizenship rights and constantly moving from place to place to place. In fact, one could say that the word for Abraham's existence was dissonance, dissonance. He never really fit in. His religion was different. He was a monotheist, having one God, while all of his neighbors were polytheistic, having several or many gods. His standards were rooted in the very character of God, while their standards came from the gods, listen carefully, that they themselves had created, the gods that they had created. Well, what a lesson that is for us. Our journey of faith demands that we live in dissonance with a world of unbelievers who, just as in Abraham's time, have created their own gods. Their own gods. They're all around us. Now, I'm not saying that our life of faith is to be anti-cultural. No. But rather, counter-cultural not captivated, not influenced, not dominated, not indoctrinated, and not led astray by the culture around us, but positively influencing and pointing the culture toward morally upright and godly ways of thinking and living. To possess a vibrant faith is to have this sense of dis-ease, discomfort with this in-betweenness of our time of waiting for the promised land that God has prepared for us. Walking by faith and not by sight, each one of us is to go the way that God directs us, 
not always knowing where that path is going to be leading us, no. But trusting him, we become willing sojourners on a journey, living in a constant state of dissonance with the world in which we live as we await our final dwelling place. Oh, it's a dangerous thing, I'm warning you, when a Christian becomes and begins to feel permanently settled, permanently attached in this world and to this world. Abraham's ultimate faith perspective was that he was looking forward to the city that had foundations where the designer and the builder was God. No more disease, no more alienation, no more dwelling in tents for him. And think about Jesus' promise to his disciples and to us as well. I go to prepare a place for you, a permanent place, that is, that where I am, there you may be also. The Bishop of Colorado that ordained me, Bishop Bill Fry, moved to San Antonio, Texas, the same time that I moved from Resurrection Episcopal Church at the time, Surfside Beach, to St. Luke's Church and School in San Antonio. And he bought a ranch there. It was only five acres. He called it a ranch. It was no ranch by Texas standards whatsoever, believe me. But one day, he, he called me up and he said, Bill, why don't you come out and see me and we'll have lunch together? So I did that. And I said to him, well, Bishop Fry, how are you enjoying it out here in the hill country of San Antonio? He said, I'm enjoying it too much. I said, what do you mean? He said, I mean, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. However much we love it here and become attached to where we live, just remember this. We have not yet arrived at our final destination. And that brings me to the third element necessary to engage in a, an active life of faith as we journey in faith, optimism. Now, I realize that may not sound like a very spiritual word to you. However, optimism and its twin sister, hope, is a very real characteristic for every Christian to possess. Sarah and Abraham's faith journey was both a geographical one and a spiritual one. They were venturing out to a completely new location on the map, and they were also venturing out to a new place in their hearts and in their minds where they were called upon to put their complete and utter trust in the promises of God. Even though Abraham was, in the less than delicate language of the Hebrews, as good as dead, Nevertheless, by the power of God, what happened? He and Sarah were given a child, Isaac, and thereby the family of Israel was born. One of my Old Testament professors always said that Abraham and Sarah were the best examples of optimism in all of the Scriptures. And then he gave this definition of optimism, which I love. He said, Optimism is when an 80-year-old man marries a 30-year-old woman and they move into a five-bedroom house right next to an elementary school. 
<clears throat> well, and then he said that he had an even better definition for optimism than that. He said, optimism is when a 99-year-old man and a 99-year-old wife hear the voice of God telling them that they're going to be parents and that their offspring will fill not a schoolhouse, but the whole world. As many as the stars of heaven and the innumerable sands on the seashore. You see, Abraham and Sarah were people who lived with an expanded vision, able to look beyond their present circumstances toward the future, always trusting and believing that God knew absolutely what was the very best for them. Faith is always about hope and optimism. Hope is always about the future. I like to define hope as confident expectancy. Confident expectancy. And I get that from the very first verse in Hebrews 11, where faith is defined in this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction. I'm convinced of something that I can't see. Are we people who are living with an expanded vision, able to look beyond our present circumstances toward the future, always trusting that God with God, the best is yet to come. As we travel through life on our journey of faith, a journey toward the heart of God, which is love, are we relying on God to lead and guide and direct us into the future? The cross of Jesus Christ and his empty tomb are the guarantees for us that he is, in fact, trustworthy. He's trustworthy because in his extraordinary love for us, he paid the ultimate price to purchase the forgiveness of our sins by shedding his very lifeblood on the cross. And when God raised him from the dead three days later, he guaranteed that that would in that we would then inherit eternal life. We would inherit a city, a city which has real, permanent foundations, and that city has a name. We call it heaven, heaven. We'll be singing that hymn during communion in just a few minutes. It's entitled, Heaven is My Home. Listen carefully to the words. Well, listen again to the way that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews describes Abraham and Sarah's aspirations and God's promise to them. But as it is, they desire, that is Abraham and Sarah, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call, to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham and Sarah were the perfect examples of patience. They were patient to the very end. Their patience endured because their faith allowed them to see the unseen, which they could not see except 
through the eyes of faith. Their true desire was that of a permanent homeland, a better country, a heavenly city, which is where they ultimately arrived. Well, we live in a great city, don't we? We sure do. We live in Charleston. Everybody wants to come here. You see the tourists. Everybody's coming here from all over the world. We live in a great city. And we live in a great country. In just two days, we're going to be celebrating Independence Day. All the freedoms that were won for us in hard-fought fights that we have in this great land. But one thing I know for certain is this, that our faith journey is not going to end here. You see, this is not our permanent city. This is not our permanent country. This is not our permanent home. St. Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. Our faith journey will end in that land of light and joy where there is no sorrow or pain anymore, but life everlasting. Heaven is our future home. Heaven is our true home. Heaven is going to be our permanent home. Amen.